Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. Well, this past Monday, I was invited to speak at Santa Margarita Catholic High School in Orange County. And I gave four presentations. This is the second of the four presentations. Um, it was a lot of fun had some good questions, and I hope uh, the answers were as good as the questions. So what you're about to hear is my presentation at Santa Margarita Catholic High School in Orange County. Testing. I'm going to record uh, what I have to say today. I, I have uh, podcasts on iTunes, and uh, today I might say something profound. You, you don't know, so uh, or I don't know. So just in case, you know. So, um, why am I a Buddhist? I guess that's a good reason or a good question to start with, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm a Buddhist because uh, I realized I was going to die. You know, isn't that... And, and I couldn't think of a better reason to have a religion. You know, when um, I was born, I was born a Lutheran. And I was born a Lutheran because my parents were Lutheran. So I didn't have much to say about it. And then I went to high school in the 60s. And when you went to high school in the 60s, it was important to question all authority and not trust anyone over 30. And so I was one of those guys, you know. And then I turned 30. And I said to myself, I've joined the other team. And uh, I'll be dead soon because people don't live very long after 30. There was a movie called Logan's Run. I don't know if anybody saw it, but there was a crystal implanted in your hand, and when you turned 30, it started to blink, and then they would come and find you, and then nobody ever saw you again. So this whole culture had people under 30. So that's what sort of was in my head when I turned 30, and I said, okay, I need a religion if I'm going to die. So I bought a book called World Religions by Houston Smith, and I read the chapter on Buddhism twice, and I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be a Buddhist. So how do you become a Buddhist? Well, I got a phone book and found a meditation center. And I started to meditate, because all Buddhists meditate, don't they? So that was like the first step. And I meditated and meditated, and it was so uncomfortable to sit quietly on the floor. My body was not used to it. My mind became agitated, thinking what a waste of time this is, you know. I'd much rather be watching TV or doing something fun like that. And then I listened to my teacher, my first teacher, talk about stuff. And, 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 and he was an American. He was a Westerner. He was going to UCLA, and he was studying Japanese. And he decided to go to Japan to do some advanced study in Japanese. And he joined a Buddhist monastery and got ordained. And then he came back and was living at the center where I live. And he was my first teacher. So... Um, I could ask him all sorts of really cool questions and not understand any of the answers at all. And not because he wasn't speaking in English, but because I had no clue what he had experienced or what he had read already. So it took me a long time to get on board. You know, like he kept talking about suffering all the time. And my life was pretty good. I, I wasn't suffering. You know, I had a job and a place to live and a new car, and I thought life was pretty good. But until I became a Buddhist, I didn't know how much I was suffering. Until I was a Buddhist, my life was pretty good. And then I became a Buddhist. And then everything I looked at, I saw suffering. And I went, oh, man, this is sort of trippy. You mean everybody in the world is suffering? 
even if they're happy? Yeah, they'll be suffering when the happiness leaves. You know, yeah, everybody suffers all the time. Well, why hasn't anybody done anything about it? How long have there been human beings on earth? Quite a while. And why didn't we do something about suffering? We have drugs for all sorts of things, but it doesn't seem to end suffering for any great length of time. You know, we've evolved and become so sophisticated and our, our cultures and communities are so complicated, and yet we still suffer. And when I go to Paulus Verdes Peninsula High School and give presentations, they're suffering because their football team didn't win. You know? Okay. And when I go to another school, maybe in downtown Los Angeles, they're suffering because they don't have enough to eat. I went, wow, yeah, okay. So it doesn't matter who you are or where you live, suffering starts to become a problem. And that's what the Buddha said. He said, every human being suffers. But I didn't have a good definition for suffering. I couldn't figure out exactly what it was. I kept confusing pain with suffering. And as a Buddhist, we say suffering is optional, pain isn't. So even if you achieve nirvana, you still have pain. It just means you won't suffer with pain. So what's suffering? Well, the best answer I ever heard came from a seventh grader named Esmeralda in Glendale, California. I was speaking to her class. They were studying world history and found out about the Buddhists and invited me to speak about Buddhism. And at the end of my presentation, she raised her hand and said, Reverend Kusala, I now understand the difference between pain and suffering. Suffering happens when you don't want to have the pain. Suffering happens when you have a Ford and want a Honda. Suffering happens when you want a girlfriend and don't have one. Suffering happens when you have a boyfriend and don't want one. Suffering happens when we want things to be different than they are. So Buddhism is a path to bring us to a profound acceptance of the way things are. To be able to see perfection in every moment. To realize even with the starvation and genocide in Darfur and the war in Iraq, this world is just the way it's supposed to be. Wow. That's so profound and so hard to see. Because I don't like war. I don't think we need to have war. I bet you we could figure out a better way to deal with our disagreements and killing each other. But it's so easy to have war because we have spent so much money on guns and ammunition and tanks and planes and they're just there waiting for us to use them, aren't they? And then we have these young guys and gals joining up saying, I want to fight. And that's okay, but then they die and that's sort of sad to die so young, you know? And old guys like myself would never join up because we don't want to die. We're too close to dying. We know how precious life is, what few years we have left. And we're going, wow, yeah, can't we figure something out? Maybe have like two football teams and the winner gets to decide, you know, who's in charge. So far, it's not so good, though. Humans haven't changed a whole lot since we were, became humans. We have far too much lust and not enough love. We have too much greed and not enough generosity. We have too much hatred and anger and not enough love and kindness. We have too much delusion and ignorance and not enough wisdom. And we end up doing really stupid things and causing a lot of suffering in the world. So as a Buddhist, I look to the Buddha as one who ended his suffering, who became a perfect human being, 
who is balanced in both compassion and wisdom, and who died but didn't but still exists today. And not because he's in heaven, or not because he was reborn, but because he achieved nirvana. Wow. What an interesting way to look at the world, huh? So, what have I learned? Life sucks. That's what I've learned. But I'm not surprised anymore, because the Buddha told me that life sucks. So when I see how difficult life is, my life and others' lives, I'm going, yeah, of course, it can't be any other way. This is samsara, according to Buddhism. This is the world where all birth and death occur. Everything in this world was created. Everything. There was one thing in this world that wasn't created. You probably already knew that. But you might be surprised to find out who the creator was. Now, a lot of people think that God created the world. They may be right. A lot of people think it's the Big Bang Theory. Of course. Expansion and contraction. They may be right. Some people, like myself, think the flying spaghetti monster created the world. There's a website. I, I saved it. You want to we got pictures. We have the reason why the flying spaghetti monster created the world. And if you become a believer as well, you get to wear a, a pirate's patch and wear a T-shirt. How cool is that? But if we knew really, really how the world started, would that end our suffering? Or would that just be some more useless information we could talk about at parties? Probably so. You know, how's the world going to end? Everybody's really concerned about that. You know? Well, I can tell you how the world's going to end. When you look up from your hospital bed and the line goes flat, the world comes to an end. But other than that, the world just seems to exist and die and exist and die. And galaxies come into existence and galaxies fall apart, according to some. And I'm going, what a great story that is. I wish I could live long enough to see some of these galaxies come in and galaxies go out. But I got 60, 70, 80 years. I got a lot of work to do. I got to end my suffering. So this is what started me on the path of Buddhism. I turned 30. I didn't have a religion. I was going to die. I started to meditate. I joined Holiday Health Spa. Worked out three days a week. I quit smoking. If I was going to die, I wanted to live as well as I could before I died. And so that's what I did. What happens when you start to take your religion too seriously? It changes you. You don't change it. A lot of people want to be half Jewish, half Buddhist. Half Catholic, half Buddhist. Half Hindu, half Buddhist. It doesn't work. You can't make your own religion. What you're trying to do is be comfortable. You're not challenging yourself. The religion is there to make you think, I think. To make you look at yourself and say, who am I? What does this life of mine mean in the context of community? In the context of skill or goodness? How am I supposed to live? And more importantly, the religion is there to tell you how you're supposed to die. So I came to my religion with that question. How am I supposed to die? And what I found out when I figured out how I'm supposed to die is how I was supposed to live. I wasn't looking for that. I just wanted to find out how to die. And now I'm finding out how to live. So, what do we live by? We live by the Eightfold Path. 
It's all laid out. Those are the steps to our nirvana, the steps to our liberation, the steps to our freedom, to be ultimately free, to even go beyond being a Buddhist. We want to end being a Buddhist and get even beyond that. Wow. So what the Eightfold Path say? Well, it says, first thing you have to do is discipline yourself. You have to speak skillfully. You have to act skillfully. You have to get a good job that doesn't create a lot of suffering in the world. You know, so we start in a very practical way by what we say and what we do. Has anybody seen the TV show My Name is Earl? Anybody see that? Am I the only one? Okay, we got a couple. I like that show because it's all about karma. You know, he was watching Carson Daly one night and realized Carson Daly had a great life because he had good karma. And Earl had a rotten life because he had bad karma. So Earl had to change his life, change his karma. He got this big yellow legal pad out, wrote down all the wrongs he had done so far, and in each episode he goes and writes the wrongs in very clever and humorous ways. How cool is that? So as a Buddhist, I guess the first thing we need to understand is karma. What is karma? What is karma? What does it take the place of? Well, it takes the place of a divine lawgiver for Buddhists. See, we don't have a divine lawgiver. We don't have a God that says what is right and what is wrong. We don't have commandments. It's not defined for us. So at some ultimate level, we have neither right nor wrong, good nor bad. We have skillful, unskillful, more suffering, less suffering. Now, how much less of a burden is that to carry with you? When you look at somebody and you think, what a jerk. They're such bad people. And then you could say, no, no, they're just unskillful. If they learn some new skills, they won't be that way anymore. There's nothing intrinsically evil about them, according to Buddhism. They're just dealing with their greed, their hatred, and their delusion, and they're not very good at it. I had a chance to be on KCET, and I was part of a panel discussion about 9-11. And Robert Schuller was there, the guy that runs the Christa Cathedral. He's a very impressive man. He's tall, and he's successful, and he knows how it is. Well, we're sitting at the table, and they ask him about evil. Is there evil in the world, Mr. Schuller? Yes, he said. Until 9-11, I didn't think there was. But now I know for sure that there is evil in this world of ours. Reverend Kusla, do you think there's evil in this world? Absolutely not. I think there's just a bunch of really unskillful people in this world causing a whole lot of suffering. Well, if looks could kill, I would have been dead. Because he didn't want to be challenged with the idea of not having evil. It is such an easy way to look at the world and people and cultures, isn't it? They're evil. That's why they do the things they do. A Buddhist can't do that. Nothing is ever one in Buddhism. There's never one cause for anything. And I heard a Buddhist say, a Buddhist scholar no less, say, the reason those tsunamis hit Thailand was because of karma. Those people in Thailand had bad karma, and that was their consequence, the tsunami. (coughs) 
And I almost went crazy. I'm thinking, what books has he been reading? Because there's nothing in Buddhism that ever turns out to be one. We always have two or more. So why did that tsunami happen? Why did earthquakes happen? Why do people die in war? Why do all those things happen? Is there one reason? We would say, according to early Buddhism, there were always five reasons why stuff happens. The first reason is natural. The cause and consequence of nature. Sometimes the reason we fall is because there is gravity. So we couldn't say we fell necessarily because we had bad karma. We could say we fell because gravity turns out to be true. I saw a bumper sticker just yesterday that said, evolution is just a theory, sort of like gravity. I'm thinking, what a cool bumper sticker that is. Who makes these things up? Second reason stuff happens. Biology, genes and chromosomes. A lot of times stuff happened to us because of our genes and chromosomes, our biology. Nothing to do with karma. Third reason stuff happens. Finally, we come to karma. Karma is the moral aspect of this model. Karma is what we say, what we do, what we think. And if we're skillful, we have pleasant consequences. If we're unskillful, we have unpleasant consequences. Fourth reason why stuff happens. Dharma, our religious practice. Whatever your religious practice is affects you and how your life is. And finally, the fifth and maybe the most important reason stuff happens, mind, thinking. Have you ever been just thinking this person was just the worst person in the world and all of a sudden they turned out to be the best person in this world? And you say to yourself, how could I have ever thought that about Mary Ann? She's such a pleasant person. Where did those thoughts come from? So mind creates our world, according to Buddhism, moment by moment. And sometimes we're the victor, and sometimes we're the victim. Those five things create the world for us, either good or bad, according to early Buddhism. So I can never look at anything and say, that's the cause. There are many causes coming together. Now, I didn't have time to explain that to Robert Schuller. Yes? Oh, what is that? The secret? Is yeah, that yeah, the, secret. the secret? Yeah, in, in my day when I was a young fellow, we had Dale Carnegie and we had Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And you are what you, I know, it's my day. And it's like, you are what you think. You can have anything you want if you believe it. You know, it, it, it will happen to you. And I suppose, yeah, I suppose if we focus enough energy on something, we might find a way to make it happen. Um, but we have to be careful what we want, what we wish for, don't we? Because sometimes we get it, it's not everything we thought it would be. Like, don't you just sort of, doesn't it blow your mind when you hear these celebrities talk about how difficult their life is, and they got the Mercedes, and they have the nice house, and everybody gives them free stuff all the time, and they say, oh, it's so, I have no privacy. And I, so sometimes when you get what you want, there's a bad side or a downside to it. What's more interesting, though, is not wanting anything and see what happens. What do you do when you just sort of live your life and then stuff becomes available to you? You go, wow, this is so cool. 
after I became ordained, I was invited to go to Sri Lanka. I had never left the country. I didn't even have a passport. And my teacher at that time said, why don't you come and stay with me at my temples? He had four temples in Sri Lanka. And I'm going, this is so cool. I got my passport, and I left the United States for the very first time and realized that the whole world is much different than I ever thought it was, that people are really different around the world and have different ways of looking at stuff. It's not like we look at it. And then to see those wonderful statues, the Buddhist country, everybody's a Buddhist there, or almost everybody's a Buddhist there, that was so cool. You know, I didn't want to go to Sri Lanka. It just sort of happened. As I've been a monk, I've been invited to be a volunteer at a state prison for men and, and figure out how to do that. For five years, I was a volunteer at Juvenile Hall in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, for the last seven years, I've been a volunteer in Garden Grove for the police department. I do ride-alongs with the police department. I have a bulletproof vest, you know. I used to watch the show Cops, but I never thought of anything would come of that. And all of a sudden, I'm in the car. Cool. I'm at UCLA. I'm a chaplain at UCLA. I have a Buddhist club that meets every Tuesday in the Catholic Center. I give presentations at the medical center to new chaplains on Buddhist patient care and end-of-life issues. I've been in the newspaper a couple of times. Never wanted any of that. Never had any idea that would happen. All I did was take ordination and wait. Whoa! And then it just kept coming up. And I had to challenge myself. Am I ready for this? Can I do it? Is anybody else doing it? Who can I ask? In a lot of cases, nobody else was doing it. I had no idea how to be a volunteer at a state prison. It is so difficult to go to a state prison. 4,300 men? No women or children? Jeez. You know, when men get together, there's no soft around edges. It's just hard and angular. All about power. I'm so happy we have women and children. They make men much better. But there I was with all these guys, and, and a lot of these guys had killed people and stolen things, and, and this energy was just like all over the place, and the guards didn't want you to be there. And one of the guards said to me one time, why are you here? And I proudly said, well, I'm the Buddhist volunteer. And he said, hell, next we're going to have astrologers coming up here. So he wasn't happy to see me there. But I learned a lot about me and about how difficult it is to be a human being. Would I have wanted to be a volunteer at state prison? Never. Last thing. But I got the invitation. And why did I accept the invitation? Because people are suffering. If people are suffering, Buddhists need to be there. I have done some weddings. I've officiated at weddings. I don't have much to say. Everybody's really happy. I have some cake and I go home. There's nobody suffering. Maybe a few years later, they'll want to talk to me. But at that moment, everybody's having a good time. So Buddhists really have this little sort of, this little corner picked out. People suffer? Yeah, let's find a Buddhist and see what they have to say about suffering. Maybe we can feel better, not have to go to therapy or medicate ourselves. Maybe we just need to meditate. So not having a goal, not wanting anything special to happen, the world became a magical place for me. A magical place. I had no computer skills at all until I became ordained. And now I have a 1,500-page website. I have seven email accounts, and they all get spam. 
It's just amazing what I have found out about myself and the potential I have. And if I had said I want to do this, maybe I would have limited myself and just settled for that rather than the other possibilities that life held for me. So when I was younger, yeah, Think and Grow Rich, that was a very important book. But as I get older, I just don't want to know. I want to be surprised. I want to see what's going to happen today. And I rode my motorcycle up here today. Every time I get on the motorcycle, I'm always surprised. I, especially when I get to where I'm going. I'm going, cool, it's going to be a good day. So, as I have progressed through my volunteer work, as I have progressed through my own personal practice, it has, life has become ordinary rather than extraordinary. Just the simple little things in life have so much more value than they did before because I wanted all the flash and trash. And now I take care of a dog, I take care of a cat, we have a koi pond, I take care of the fish. You know, and, and it's, it's really, you know, when the little cat comes up in the bed next to me and, and, and just, you know, wants to take a nap and I want to take a nap and we take a nap together, I mean, that's some of the pleasures of life. At, at your point in life, that would be really boring. But at my point in life, it's rather pleasant. So as my life unfolds, it unfolds because of what I do rather than who I am. And, and I have found that to be true that it's more important to do something rather than be something. And that may not make sense, but perhaps as I continue talking, it will. So, what have I learned in meditation? Yes? Why do Buddhist monks shave their heads? Good question. Why do Buddhist monks shave their heads? Uh, two reasons. first reason is it's practical. That in the old days, we used to live in forests and in caves. And when we lay down to sleep at night, little creatures would crawl in our hair and make a home. So if you shaved your head, you could wash your face and wash your head at the same time. No problemo. The second reason is ego. Now, how many hours a week do we spend getting our hair to look nice? And how much money do we spend getting the right color and the right length and the right curl or the right straightness? And that can just make you so into how you look that when you sort of look like this, you don't look very often in the mirror because there's not much to look at. So it's, one, practical, and two, the most important, it's to let go of a little ego. And women also shave their heads, too. The nuns and monks both shave their heads. So that's the reason. Thanks. Yeah? How did you overcome, like, wanting to be somebody instead of wanting to just do something? Mm-hmm. I did. I did. I always wanted uh, to uh, be part of a musical group. You know, I wanted to be a performer. And, and I have a guitar, and I have a mandolin, and I have a harmonica, and I practice and practice. And finally, I had my chance. I had my chance to go on stage in front of people I didn't know and, and play with my little group called Dharmagrass. And... What it was, it wasn't being anything at all. It was remembering what chord to do next, what to strum. It was all about doing and doing it together with the other two people. And then um, we were sort of successful, and, and it sounded pretty good. And I realized, you know, it wasn't about being a performer or being 
a celebrity or being special. It was about playing the guitar well with other people at that moment. So, yeah, so I, I have wanted to be certain people in my life, um, but then I just decided to do stuff rather than be stuff. And that's when my life got really cool, really interesting, you know? Like a couple years ago, 2001, I took my motorcycle to Wisconsin. Seven days there and seven days back. And I tell you, I was walking funny for months. But what I wanted to do was challenge myself. I wanted to see what I was made of. What would I do sitting in the saddle day after day? You know, it rain and heat and mountains and valleys and wow. Could you live? Could you drive that far and not kill yourself? 5,000 miles on a motorcycle, two wheels, balancing the whole way. And I found out you could do it, you know. But it wasn't because who I was. It was because what I was doing. I was paying attention to the road, <laughs> avoiding those big tires that keep falling off the trucks, you know. Look like big snakes as you're driving around and stuff. And then it's just so, yeah, so it is, it turns out to be, it's what you do. It's what you do. And, and, the, and, the, and those young people in juvenile hall, they weren't there because who they were. They weren't there because of who they were. They were there because of what they did. Now, they may have thought that they were there because of who they were. But if they had done different stuff, they could have been anybody and wouldn't have ended up there. So when I see a person, when a person says to me, you know, I'm really a good person deep down inside. I just killed those three people because I didn't like them. I'm going, yeah, you know, but maybe actions do speak louder than words sometimes. So that's what I've come to understand. Long answer to a short question. Thank you. Okay, anybody else? Shall we get into um, God? I said such a great subject because Buddhists like to talk about God. Do you think Buddhists are atheistic? Anybody think Buddhists are atheists? What do you think? Think all Buddhists don't believe in God? Okay. Are Buddhists uh, agnostics, do you think? Yeah, okay, we have one agnostic back here that says agnostic, okay. Uh, uh, maybe, uh, how about Buddhist non-theist? Non-theistic, rather than atheistic or agnostic. Anybody think the Buddhist might be non-theistic? Okay, we've got a non-theist over here. Well, to me, an agnostic believes in something, but not quite sure what. And, and a non-theist would, would be a person who said, there may or may not be a God, but I don't care. Oh, okay. That kind of thing. Yeah. You know. So I think Buddhists are sort of non-theistic. That, there you go. I think because, because the Buddha believed in gods. The Buddha believed in all the gods of India, and they, all, and they all worked for him. The Buddha never said they weren't gods. But there was one thing those gods couldn't do, and that was end human suffering. So Buddha said, well, we can't turn to God to find the answer to suffering. So I guess we have to do it ourselves as human beings. Yes? Um, do you guys believe the Buddha was an actual person, or do you think an image of people? Okay. Uh, I think the Buddha was an actual person. And they have archaeological evidence that sort of validates that, that someone lived. Now, whether it was the cool guy, the Buddha, or not, that's another question. Because... Um, it was sort of prehistory, you know. There's like no photos or recordings, and it's just like. But the stories are there. The stories are there, and the stories probably have some basis. So I would say 
in my mind, yes, there was someone who, who lived and spoke about the things that we find in Buddhist texts. I think those words are pretty close to what the Buddha talked about. And those things still seem to work, even after 2,500 years. Those things still seem to work. So, yeah, so I, I do believe. I, 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 let me rephrase that. I have confidence that the Buddha existed. Thank you for that question. So, yes? What about miracles? Miracles, yeah. Okay, uh, let me give you a story about a miracle. Uh, the Buddha and his attendant Ananda were going to cross this river in India. And the Buddha said, well, there's, there's the ferry, and it only costs a penny apiece. So the Buddha and Ananda got into the boat and ferried across the river. And while they were halfway across, this Indian yogi, all dressed in white, comes down to the edge of the river and starts walking on the water and crosses the river by walking on the water. And Ananda was so angry because he knew the Buddha was the best yogi in India. And he said to the Buddha, why didn't we walk on the water? Or why didn't you walk on the water? And the Buddha said, well, how much did it cost for us to take this boat? And he said, a penny. And the Buddha said, that's how much walking on the water is worth. A penny. So in Buddhism, um, we don't place a high value on miracles. They happen. But they happen not because of who they were, but what kind of spiritual practices they did. So it is said in Buddhism, when you do certain kinds of meditation, you'll be able to read people's minds. Not because you're cool, but because you've done the right practice that gets you there. And so if anybody can do it, how special is it? Well, you might think it's really cool if you could read somebody's mind. You're going to ask her out, you know. And, and so, and you'd know the answer was no, and you wouldn't ask. Great. But, but, it's like, <laughs> but it's like, if you're a teacher and can read your, your students' minds, yeah, that'd be cool because you know exactly what they need to hear from you. He's not saying Without saying anything. So it has some value in certain contexts. But generally speaking, miracles don't have much value for Buddhism. But they are there. They're in the stories. They are there. Yeah? Um, you mentioned that Buddha said that they didn't say the gods didn't exist, but he said it didn't really matter. So has it kind of evolved to a point where you guys don't worship the Indian gods? Or do you still just accept their existence, but they have no influence on anything? Yeah, that's really a good question, especially to an American Buddhist kind of guy, because I, I never thought the Indian gods were very cool. You know, I always thought you know the one god was the way to go. You know, monotheism, and so I would read the stories about all those gods, and I go, oh, how can people believe that stuff? You know, and and then when I went to Sri Lanka, I went to some Buddhist temples, and in every temple next to the Buddha was these Hindu gods, and I'm saying, well, why are the Hindu gods in the Buddhist temple? And then I watched the people come in. And they would have some of the women and men would come in and they'd buy flowers. And they'd lay flowers at the feet of the Buddha and, and thank them for being the world teacher. And then they'd take the rest of the flowers and lay them in front of the Hindu deities and say, my husband's looking for a job, can you help? So it seems that humans need to have other power as well as self-power. And these Buddhist temples, I saw both self-power and other power. So... 
the Buddha believed in the gods of India because that was his time and space. That was that was part of his. You know, you can't seem to get past that. Even the Buddha didn't get past time and space. Yeah. So um, acceptable to uh, not like like as long as you believe in the teachings of Buddha. Ah, a good way of putting it, too. There's a sutta called the Kalama Sutta. And the Buddha said, don't believe it just because I said it. Don't believe it because the elders say it. Don't believe it because it's written in books. Believe it because it's true to you. So, as a Buddhist, walking into any church, temple, or synagogue, uh, ashram, we have the option of believing or not believing. And, and it won't make us a better Buddhist or a lesser Buddhist if we believe or don't believe. Because our focus is not on believing in God or gods. Our focus is on any suffering. And is there a God that can end suffering? I would pose that question to you. Maybe not. I asked a Catholic priest friend of mine, can you have Catholicism without suffering? And you know what he said? No. Wow. Never thought about it before. Now, now there are other priests that say, well, that's old school. You know, we don't need suffering. But I don't see, in this world of ours in 2007, I don't see a whole lot of movement religiously towards the end of suffering. I, I see it in Buddhism, and so we have a lot of work to do. And I accept a lot of invitations. Because people keep suffering all the time. Well, like in Christianity, the end of suffering is really death and self. Like, I and and salvation. salvation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you say to that? Well, I would say that wouldn't work in Buddhism because we have rebirth. So we'd be dead today and reborn tomorrow, not in the sense of born again, but and now we're suffering again. So that idea of finding salvation in death which, if you're contemplating suicide, may be attractive to you. For Buddhists, we would just mean more suffering. You know, so our salvation is in nirvana, which is even beyond death. The Buddha, at one point in his teachings, said, I teach the path to immortality. And what he meant by that was, I don't teach the path of how not to die. I teach the path of how not to be reborn again. Do you know why Buddhists are reborn? Well, that, that's true, but there are three reasons. The first reason is sperm. The second reason is egg. And the third reason is karma. When those three things come together, we show up. Wow. So people say to me, well, why are you here, Kusla? I say, I'm here because my parents had sex and I had karma. Now, there's nothing I can do about my parents having sex. But there is something I can do about having karma. And if I can end my karma, then I won't have to be reborn again. So when I achieve nirvana, I end my karma. Cool. Yes? It said that's the case. Now, the Buddha achieved nirvana at 35. Uh, he, he took six years from 29 to 35 of practice, and he achieved nirvana. But when you continue reading the story about the Buddha... He had 550 lifetimes as a bodhisattva, as a Buddhist saint, before his final rebirth as Siddhartha, and then his nirvana at 35. 
So it's generally not a one-lifetime proposition. It's a few lifetimes. But I don't know how long I've been practicing because I found Buddhism at 30. So how many more lifetimes do I have to go? How many lifetimes have I already been practicing? You know, I don't know. I don't have that intuition. Did you have a question? Okay, let me give you um, a, a thumbnail sketch of Buddhist afterlife. We have 31 heavens and 31 hells, and we have nirvana. We go to heaven because of what we think, say, and do. We go to heaven because of our karma. We go to hell because of our karma as well. But it's Buddhist heaven and Buddhist hell. So if you're Catholic, I won't see you there. But I'll wish you a good rebirth in your heaven. So, the first heaven is perfect. It's probably just like Catholic heaven. It's just the way you want it to be. The only problem with this heaven is you have to leave eventually because the karma that put you there wears out, and then you have to leave. So, our best heaven is not forever, and it ultimately turns out to be unsatisfactory. The second heaven is almost perfect, but there's some desire associated with that heaven, and I call that the Donald Trump heaven. If only you had one more building or one more wife, it would be a perfect heaven, but you never get it. The third realm of existence is the human realm. And as a Buddhist, we feel this is the best realm of existence because this is where we can find the teachings of the Buddha and achieve nirvana and not have to be reborn any more times. The first hell realm we call the animal realm. And I know if you have animals... You don't think of it as being hell, but a lot of animals do live in hell. So it's often described as always wanting to eat, always wanting to sleep, always wanting to have sex, and being totally confused. That's the animal realm. And that was also me as a teenager. But now we've got... (laughs) Now we have the next hell realm, which we call the hungry ghost realm. And, And these are giant tall creatures with this little pinhole for a mouth and they can never ever satisfy their hunger so they're always hungry and you know how uncomfortable it feels to be hungry and they can't get rid of that hunger so that's the desire realm that's a really uncomfortable hell to be in and finally the worst hell of all is you have these hell bodies that look just like you and you're walking through the forest and all the leaves fall off the trees and turn into razor blades and cut you in a million pieces and you cry out and scream and you're resurrected right on the spot so you can be killed again and again and again. You know? And then finally, when the karma that's purified through your suffering uh, ends, then you get to be reborn out of the hell realm and into another realm. So everybody's going sort of up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, when I was a volunteer at state prison, the thought that came to my mind was maybe some of these guys, this is their first rebirth out of hell, and they forgot how to be a human being. And then, now and then, you get really cool people on earth like Mother Teresa. Maybe she was reborn out of heaven and came back to join us for a while to make life a little better for a lot of people who were suffering. Do you ever stop going back? Yes, when you achieve nirvana. Okay, that's such a cool question, and there are absolutely no answers except the one I'm going to give you right now. So this is my answer to where you go when you achieve nirvana. I think what happens is your body dies, because our body was created, and it's going to have to die, but you continue to exist, not because of birth, but because of nirvana. 
So the Buddha right now is alive in a whole different realm, maybe a parallel universe to ours, because this place we are in right now, samsara, is where birth and death occur. You can't come here unless you were born, and then you always have to leave because you die. But he's in a place where you only go when you achieve nirvana. So nirvana is the reason for his existence, not birth. And every Buddhist is working towards achieving nirvana to exist without being born. Does that sort of make sense? Okay. Thanks for the question. Okay. Ten minutes. Okay. Any more questions? Nine minutes. Okay. Did that... Yeah. You're saying that, like... Like you value life, of it, like precious and stuff. Yeah. But like, if you keep being born again, having your life. Like, okay, if you keep being reborn again, yeah. will you lose your uh, like you value of life? Life. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, because it gets. I, I think the, the the thing about that is most of us can't remember that we were born before. That this seems like the first time. People have asked me if I think I've been reborn. This seems like the very first time. Sometimes today feels like the very first day, even though I've had many days of living. You know. So if we remembered each lifetime, I would say yes. I would say we might become complacent about life and not think of it as having much value. But because we keep forgetting that we were here before, according to Buddhism. Now, if you're a Christian, you weren't here before. This is your first time. Welcome. You finally made it. <laughs> and now you only got a couple of years. You got 60, 70 years, and that's it for eternity. So you got a lot of work to do. See, I'm coming back again. If I screw up this lifetime, I got a couple hundred life, more lifetimes to go. But, you know, the pressure's on. And if you were a Hindu, I might say, my gosh, I haven't seen you in this whole incarnation. How are you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. I look at life as being very precious because it's really hard to be born. It's so hard to be born. I mean, look how long it took you to get born, you know? And, and how long will it be until you're reborn again? Well, if you're a Christian, never. So it is special. And each life on this planet, for some reason, found a way to get reborn. And think about all your ancestors from the first ancestor, whether it's Adam or Eve, whatever your inclination is. All your ancestors were good-looking enough to find mates. And they had children. And then their children were good-looking enough to find more mates and have more children. And after all of that, you finally made it. How rare is that? Not an ugly one in the bunch. <laughs> cool. Yeah, but just enough time for a couple more questions. Okay, and then... Okay. To play some blues. blues. Yes. Um, what is the Buddhism... Uh, you on materialism because in Christianity it's like if you're a priest you can't have anything. Right. Uh, we don't take vows of poverty. Uh, uh, we just choose the wrong lifestyle to make a lot of money. And what that means is this. Uh, somebody asked a, a famous Zen master, Zen master, when you become a monk, do you have to give everything up? And the Zen master thought for a moment and said, oh no, you just have to realize everything will be taken away from you. So, as a Buddhist, uh, it's okay to make a lot of money. That means you can give more money away. Nothing wrong with money. The problem with money is owning it. Some people own money. Some people use money. So, if you get a lot of money, use it wisely. But don't own it. Did that sort of... Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. 
Yes. So are you saying that each time you come back, you have to like rediscover Buddhism and everything? I think so. It might be getting easier and easier, though. Because uh, in the old days, you'd have to go like to China or Tibet to discover it. Now you just have to go to Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> and so it's getting easier. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know, I was asked to bring my harmonica because uh, sometimes when I talk about Buddhism, it really gets depressing. And, and, and I don't want to leave everybody here depressed. So the blues is all about good people feeling bad. And if you listen to the blues carefully, you'll start feeling good again. So let me see if I can make some blues with this little harmonica here. Thank you very much for listening. Well, that does it. That was my presentation at Santa Margarita Catholic High School in Orange County. Hope you found it interesting. Hope you found it useful. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my website, kusala.info. That's K-U-S-A-L-A dot info. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts, you can find them at dharmatalks.info. That's dharmatalks.info. If you'd like to download some free ebooks on Buddhism, please visit buddhabooks.info. That's buddhabooks.info. And if you'd like to email me, I'm falling behind, but uh, I'll get to I'll respond as soon as I can. You can email me at kusla at urbandharma.org. Kusla at urbandharma.org. Well, until the next time, until the next podcast. Be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.